Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Scott Stebbin Podcast. I hope you are having a great, a wonderful week. Uh, today on this episode, we're actually going to be talking about um, kind of a follow-up to episode 170, which was about the disaffiliation of the Saddleback Church. Uh, recently in Christianity Today, there was an interview with Rick Warren, and he talks a little bit about that disaffiliation and, and some other interesting tidbits from that article that Micah and I are going to discuss. So again, like as, as always on every episode since last year, we have Micah Current joining me as co-host. Micah, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. Uh, another week, another podcast. Um, thankful for the opportunity. And uh, yeah, you're like... I can't get rid of this guy. He just keeps showing up every week to record with me. So keeps showing up on my doorstep. I get in to record. Next thing you know, I see Micah Kearns waiting in the waiting room. I'm like, what's this about? Click it. You're here. Like a it stray animal. Happens. You fed me one time and it was over. Man, there's honey in the rock, man. Got to keep coming back. <laughs> well, you, you did get a new ice cream machine. So I was kind of hoping. I did get it. If I could feed ice cream through the, through the mm-hmm. um, digital realm, there you go. You can taste it, which I made. Which I made um, mint chocolate chip for uh, St. Patrick's Day, and usually when I make my mint chocolate chip, I use fresh mint. And my wife informed me that she doesn't like it because she doesn't mm. like that fresh mint flavor. She likes the artificial mint flavor. So this batch, I ended up using the artificial mint flavoring um, for the ice cream, and apparently the kids loved it. My wife loved it, and I'm thinking. Man, I like the fresh mint better. So, and then of course I put some food coloring in there to make it a little green, because usually I don't add dyes into my ice cream. I just let nature takes its course. Um, but that's a story for another day. So stories gone wild. So, Micah, you ever heard of the TV show The American Gladiators? I have. Okay, so. I'm old, Last but I'm not night, that old, but I know what you're talking about. Okay, so so during our youth, during our youth, and again, this is probably dropped, this is going to drop later, but during the spring break, um, you know, spring breaks this week for um, all the students in my, uh, in my city, and um, it was, it's my first, like, Sunday of the start of spring break, so I don't really know how many students were going to show up to youth. And sure enough, like I'm down there, I'm working on a project, which I'm working on doing diaper wars. Are you familiar with diaper wars? No. Okay. Well, I'll explain what diaper wars is in a little bit. So basically I'm getting these things ready. It's it's time for youth. I'm still waiting because usually they run a little late. It gets to about being about five to 10 after I'm thinking, okay. No one's showing up. So I go to my office. And I start working. And next thing you know, there's a knock at my door. I open it up and the lead pastor's there because she was burning the midnight oil at the church. And there's two teens that were there. So I'm like, okay. So we go. We have our time for youth. And I said, hey, we could do a couple things. We could play some board games. It's just the two, the three of us. Or you can help me with these diaper wars. So what diaper wars is, is you take diapers and I roll them into like a ball and like secure them with the uh, Velcro straps. And then it's almost like dodgeball. You take them and you just throw them and you whip them at people and you hit them and it doesn't hurt. And again, you have like 
you know, I bought a thing of diapers at Costco. So I have like 222 um, ammunition, basically, for these diapers. And, you know, you could do a lot of different things. You can play dodgeball with them. You could set up like a a course and you can hide behind chairs or tables and kind of you can play capture the flag. There's a lot of things you can do or you can even do like a battle royale and have the last one standing. So as we're putting these together and we're just talking and shooting the breeze, I mentioned that at my last church, we ended up setting up an American Gladiators course. And there's that game where the contestants would run to each station and they have to shoot like a something that hit the target above the uh, gladiator's head while the gladiator's standing there and like shoot, hurling like with an air gun, hurling like tennis balls at like, they said a hundred miles per hour on these uh, broadcasts. So they're like, so they're curious about it. I'm like, hold on, let me see if I can find a video of this. So I go on YouTube and I pull up this video and it was like the best of assault. And I forgot that they called it assault. And literally, you're watching these things, and I'm showing them, like, look at these guys. They're only dressed up in, like, elbow pads and knee pads and wearing goggles, uh, running around this course while they're having tennis balls being hurled at them through a gun. And one of the videos, like, I think it was, like, laser shot and hit a guy in the face, and it knocked his glasses off, and the guy, like, went down. I'm like, oh, my gosh. So we're watching this, and we're like, okay. And I'm like, that's American Gladiators. And then it, it, I, I'm like, there's a reboot of American Gladiators. I'm like, I don't remember what year, but there's a reboot. Let me see if I can find, like, that. So I go look for it. And sure enough, we find a full episode. So we're watching it. And I forgot how bad that was. How cringy it is. Well, it was bad <laughs> because I felt like, you know, the Gladiators in the original didn't really talk much. They sat there, they did their thing, but they were kind of like these silent antagonists. Where these, they made them very cocky, and they were like, they would say stuff like, there's this guy who had like the facial hair. The only person I remember from American Gladiators was the guy who looked like a wolf, and they called him Wolf. And he would say these crazy things like, like after things, like they're talking to the Gladiators, and he's like, I see you're wearing red. And it reminds me of blood and I'm thirsty. Like, I'm like, oh, this is so cringy. Like, this is so bad. Like, and then I forgot that the winner of American Gladiators, of this new season of American Gladiators, is if you won the whole thing, you got $100,000. And then next season, you get to be a gladiator. And I'm thinking, wow, that really sucks for the person after they canceled it for one season. Who won that thing? So, but we're watching it, and my kids are dying laughing. And they even ask, "Oh, is that show still on the air?" I'm like, "Nope." Which it was funny because it made them really excited about me setting up a gladiators like course and just having like an American gladiators night where we get to do all these activities. I'm thinking, "Oh, I've created a monster." <laughs> but I'm sure I could probably find some adults that who, who could be gladiators and go, "Okay." Who wants to be a gladiator and like beat up some kids for an hour or two? <laughs> but anyway, that was my story's gone wild. Michael, what about you? I mean, it's amazing how far television has come and how far video, you know, videoing has come and like the uh you know, we find ourselves, you know, even going back and watching some older shows and some older uh 
movies that we liked while we were growing up. And so um, I think it was, you know, right around a year ago, we bought uh, Paramount Plus or we didn't we didn't get by Paramount Plus. We got like a year subscription or something with it with our phone plan or something. And we went back and we were watching some old Nickelodeon shows like Legends of the Hidden Temple and yeah. some of some of the other game shows that were on TV, you know, when Scott, when you and I were kids and they were great. So but like when you're a kid, you look at things through a different lens. So, oh, yeah. Um, it it's fun in the moment, but some some things you know hold the test of time, right? Like, uh, do you remember Snick? Like, which is Saturday Night Nick? Yes, when they I had do. like all that and uh, Keenan and Kel and all you know all mm-hmm. those really funny shows that were on Saturday Night. Uh, there was a Keenan and Kel did, uh, and some of the folks from um, the show all that did that show Good Burger or the movie yeah. Good Burger. Over the weekend, my wife and I saw that they were going to do a. They're going to do like a reboot or like make another one all these they're years making later. A movie. Like, they're making a movie yeah. that's going to be streaming on Paramount Plus. Okay. So it's a second movie because they did the first yeah. one in the nineties. So um, they, they announced that over the weekend or like, it's you know, on Friday night or whenever that was. And um, my wife was like, man, I hope it's not bad because I really like the first one. And I'm like, I, <laughs> I don't know how it's going to be, you know, uh, comparatively speaking to the first one because it's, you know, almost 30 years ago. So we'll see how it does. My story's gone wild. It's kind of tied into the um, the conversation that you and I are going to be having today about the SPC and Rick Warren. Um, so my wife and I are running around on Saturday. We're doing you know our errands and we're having the conversation of what um, you and I are going to be talking about this next week. And I, I said, I don't know. I, we've been doing a lot of the, the SPC conversation about the whole woman in ministry and the inclusion of women in ministry and um, but she was like, what's the deal with, with the SBC? And I'm like, I really don't know. And she was like, well, how many Baptist churches are there? And I was like, we tried to make this list, right? Like independent Baptist, American Baptist, first Baptist, Southern Baptist, American Baptist, um, and so on and so on. So, um, yesterday I'm watching, I'm watching church online. And this was last night before I went to bed and Scott, you texted me about what we were going to talk about today. And I kind of, I was wondering, cause at one time or another, um, Elevation Church in North Carolina, which is the big church that, you know, writes a lot of music, Stephen Furtick's their pastor, mm-hmm. um, mega church, multi-site church in Charlotte or founded in Charlotte. Um, you know, at one time or another, they were considered Baptist. And I was like, are they Baptist or not? Because they don't really act like they're Baptist, but are is their theology Baptist? Yeah. So I went on their website and tried to do this deep dive of like, what's Elevation Church's theology? What are their beliefs? What are their values? What's their mission statement? And I couldn't find anything. Nothing. And so when I Googled, um, is Elevation Church Baptist? It says Elevation Church is Baptist Evangelical. Is a is a Baptist evangelical multi-site megachurch pastor by Stephen Furtick in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, Southern Baptist Convention weekly church attendance posted that church attendance was over twenty-seven thousand people in twenty twenty-one. So, like the SBC is keeping tabs on it. They're considered Baptist evangelical. What the heck is Baptist evangelical? I don't think I've ever heard of that. And so, all that to be uh, all that said, Scott, you know, I was thinking about our conversation today and. Um, I was watching Elevation stream last night from yesterday, and they said at the end of the service, 
that pastors Stephen and Holly Furtick, Pastor Stephen and Pastor Holly Furtick, which is the lead pastor and his wife, they consider her a pastor. Well, if they're SBC, how is she a pastor? Does she hold credentials? How does that work? I'm like, I'm not, I don't care. Like, I'm just, yeah, I, I'm trying to play devil's advocate here because, like, it's kind of a story that's gone wild, but it's kind of a segment to tie into our, you know, a topic today, the topic today that we're going to be covering. But, like, if SPC is like so anti women in pastor roles, but you got a prominent church like Elevation, if they're even considered SPC or Baptist anymore, then how does that fly? And then, you know, you got the situation with Saddleback, which is what we're going to be talking about today with Rick Warren, and they got expelled from the SPC. So it makes me believe that Elevation is not SPC, or at least they have very loose ties with the Southern Baptist Convention, or the Baptist Evangelical Convention is something completely different than SPC. So it's, yeah, I don't so, know if you know anything about any of that, but like I, I was so, thinking about that last night, and I was like, I wanted to get your thoughts. Yeah. So um. Yeah, so kind of moving right into our discussion with Rick Warren, just to answer your question, like there are so many different Baptist organizations out there. Mm-hmm. It's not even funny. Like my wife actually grew up in a church that was North American Baptist. I even hear what's Southern added to the list. <laughs> so so Southern, so then you have Southern Baptists, but then Baptist Evangelical, like that, I feel like here's the thing. I feel like that is something different because I've always heard so you saying that elevations baptist really is interesting to me because I feel like anytime when I have conversations with people they always say well they're charismatic because they've had like or at least I don't know if they've had people like a Joel Olstein speak at elevation but I do know that um Steve Fiertick has spoken at what is it? Word of Life Church in Houston, that Joel Olstein's church. Like he's spoken there and has spoken at other churches that have more charismatic ties. So I'm not sure. I mean, I also know that there's like a a Baptist of the Old Faith and Order Church because there's a little tiny church in Marengo that I'd always drive past to get to the camp that had that title on their sign. So I'm like, oh, that's weird. Like, so, yeah, so I think the whole term Baptist, there's so many different splits in the Baptist church. It's kind of hard to know, you know, is this an SBC church? Is this a different type of church? And and you're not sure. But I also say that a lot of times, like the North American Baptist church that my wife went to in Cleveland was a pretty large church. Like it was ginormous. So Baptist kind of being a older denomination and even an older um not only older european but even older north american denomination like they're probably one of the biggest church denominations within our uh within the western civilization but um yeah uh, uh that's weird and so i going back to your question about how steve's wife can be has the title of pastor um, that's a very good question because I mean, if it's, if it's from the SBC and it's something where, if it's from the SBC and it's something where they can say like, oh, here is something that, uh, we don't allow. I figured they'd put a stop to it or they would disaffellish, disaffellish elevation, um, 
or just to fellowship them as they did Saddleback? Or is this Baptist Evangelical something completely different? So SBC may be keeping tabs, but because they're not strongly affiliated with the SBC church, it's almost kind of like, well, we're going to claim them, but we don't have any power over them because they're not in fellowship with us. I don't know. And I don't know how all that logistics of the churches work. I know it sounds so stupid me saying no, they're, it, it's they're the they're the uh the non-denominational church of the SBC. Yeah, so <laughs> the non-denominational church, like I like how with the uh, UMC splitting and you have the global church, global Methodists, you have United Methodists, and now you have the those who are going non-denominational or independent churches. So it's like, okay. Um, but going to this article, this was in Christianity Today, um, where it's an interview with Russell Moore, which Russell Moore has ties, had ties in the SBC. And probably over the last couple years, he's kind of been like the black sheep of the SBC. Also, another big name would be... Um, Beth Moore, who was part of the SBC, which that's interesting, too. I always thought that was strange. I'd had no clue that Beth Moore was part of the SBC. And yet, you know, she's probably one of their more well-known teachers, but she's a woman. So no, 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 we can't give her the title of pastor. But, eh, you know, it's stuff like that where I find so fascinating. But it's this great article between uh, Russell Moore and Rick Warren, and it's very interesting and one of the key things that i thought was interesting is it it goes back to the conversation where is the biblical proof that women can be ordained ministers because depending on your background and your denomination and what they teach and what they believe there are certain passages or verses that either support it or don't support it And I thought it was interesting that out of all the scriptures that would have convinced Rick Warren, because he goes on to say that when people say like, oh, hey, we ordain women, his big thing was like, show me it in scripture, because I'm just not going to believe what you say, because I want to make sure this is not a cultural thing and it's a biblical thing, which is going back to that high view of the Bible, that we have no creed but the Bible which is something he mentions in this interview. And he ends up saying that the verse that really kind of took him, especially during the pandemic, the verse that made him say, okay, it's okay for us to ordain women. And he started doing it was the great commission. And I thought that was fascinating because the great commission doesn't explicitly say men and women, but it's implied to all people. And if you are going out to baptize them, and that was the thing that he even said too, which I thought was also another fascinating thing that, you know, their model of baptism at Saddleback was if you led someone to Christ, then you get to baptize them. So if a mom leads her husband or if a wife leads her husband to Christ and she leads her children to Christ, then she's the one that baptizes her husband. She's the one that baptizes her children, which I thought that is, I love that model. (laughs) I mean, I do. I really like that model. Um, 
So I thought that was the big thing. Uh, one of the big takeaways from this article is that the Great Commission was the thing that kind of sold him that women can be ordained as ministers was the Great Commission. You know, where for me, I always go to, well, let's look at what the Greek writers that are outside the scriptures, but around that time are saying about women in ministry or Christian women or Christian preachers. How do we understand culture? And then not only that, but like my big go-to is Acts 2, when Peter is preaching to the crowd after the Holy Spirit falls upon them. And he quotes Joel 2, where it says, my Holy Spirit will pour out on men and women. And I'm thinking, well, what's the role of the Holy Spirit? Well, to remember what Christ did, to teach what Christ has taught. And it's like, well, if that's pouring out on men and women, then both men and women have the right to teach because they are being led by the Holy Spirit. Hmm. I, while you were talking, I was looking at a couple different versions of, of the text, the Great Commission text, and it just says all. Every version yeah. that I looked up says all. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Every, I looked up NLT, New Living Translation, New International Version, ESV, English Standard Version, and they, they all say in that verse 18, all, all authority. It doesn't say anything about gender. It doesn't say anything about male or female. It literally just says all authority. So I, the way I look at it is that Rick Warren probably took the approach of, oh, this is this is what the Lord's giving to me. But it's it's very like, Scott, when you, when you hear this argument, what's the first scripture that somebody throws at you? It's the whole Second Timothy thing, right? Or, it's uh, or, first, uh, uh, yeah, First Timothy. Or, or first, first Timothy, Timothy I'm sorry. Two. Yes, they they throw the first Timothy to uh, which is we should do a Bible quiz every week like we did when we were in seminary or. <laughs> and, and here's the thing, like I think I even I think I even mentioned I think in our last step when we talked about it, I mentioned first Timothy too and kind of broke that down. Um, yeah. And yeah, that's a big thing because. But that's it, it's it, one of it's just it one is, of the passages that they throw in your face all the time when when they want to make the argument about the woman in ministry and not being able to serve in ministry. Or, or I'm sorry, they could serve in the ministry, but they can't have the title pastor. Yeah. Um, but I was reading this article last night, and I thought of it kind of in a different light. Um, and and I was kind of thinking of like the, what it must have been like because the article goes into great detail about Rick Warren's family and kind of the lineage that he has within this other oh, yeah. Um mm-hmm. The article says, as a planner and former pastor of the well-known congregation, Warren shared his uh, views on women and the church leadership changed when he re-encountered a certain scriptures that he had overlooked, such as the Great Commission. And then he talked about being in a, um, I thought this was uh, kind of a funny name, Southern Baptist Support Group. <laughs> yeah. But like, one of the things that really I I kind of took from this was like, what courage it must have taken for Rick Warren to, to walk away from that. Mm-hmm. You know, and kind of the, um, you know, it was kind of instilled on, you know, instilled in his life from, you know, a young age from his grandfather to his father to him. And it's like, this is what SBC believes and why. And then he ends up pastoring one of the most prominent and largest Southern Baptist churches in the country. And then, you know, 30 plus years into his ministry, he's like, you know, maybe we should rethink this whole women in ministry thing. And then he takes a stance on it. And then it just kind of like, blows the church up so to speak and um i can't i can't imagine the conviction 
and the the weight of the world on his shoulders trying to go and have that conversation, both with his church and the national convention that his church was a part of. Did you feel that way when you read this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I mean, because it's, it's, it's fascinating. And here's the thing. And even like Rick Warren, he says like, you know, the thing that changed him, it was the scripture. It was mm-hmm. just reading the scripture. It wasn't, getting into the culture. It wasn't getting into any of that. And he, I mean, those three verses he lists, he lists, you know, he lists the great commission. He does. I forgot that he does talk about the passage in Peter. And then when he looked at commentaries to understand that it was like, yep, everybody, everybody gets to preach. Everybody gets to prophesize. Everybody gets to teach. And then the third thing was uh, Mary Magdalene, when she had to go and tell the disciples about the resurrection of Jesus. And as he's going through there, he's saying, these are verses that are in the Bible that I'm reading in this study that he went through about the Great Commission and kind of this idea of going and telling, going and making disciples. And it led him to those other two verses. And he's just like, oh, my goodness. And then he's also going back and he's saying, yeah, I think there's one part where he talks about um, the day of Pentecost. And he even says that. um, it says this it says that's different than the Old Testament. I've looked at 300 commentaries on those verses. It's interesting to me that almost everybody goes, yep, in the church, everybody gets to pray, everybody gets to preach, everybody gets to prophesize. And the people who don't like that ignore that verse. John MacArthur doesn't even cover that verse. He just skips over it. And I'm like, wow, that's fascinating that, you know, not necessarily because John MacArthur's a big, I mean, he's the one who famously told when they asked about Beth Moore teaching, he basically just said she needs to go home. Mm-hmm. Like, like that type of comment. And it's like, dude, you're not even reading the scriptures. You're just picking and choosing what you want to shape your own view. Which Well, something that, well, I was going to say that like to piggyback off of that really quickly, uh, later on in the article, it talks about uh, fund- fundamentalists and it talks about, but the word has changed because we've now, uh, have fundamental Muslims, fundamental Buddhists, we have fundamental atheists, we have fundamental communists, we have fundamentalists who are secularists. And it says today, it goes on to say today, fundamentalist means you stopped listening. And so how many times do we have those conversations with our brothers and sisters in Christ and churches, whether they're Southern Baptist, Methodist, uh, Lutheran, Presbyterian, whatever, and the fundamental differences that we have within the church and ministry and the calling it's because we stopped listening. We, we, uh, my wife says this all the time, but like people, um, I don't remember how it goes exactly, but like we listen to hear and not hear to listen. Right. And so meaning we just don't listen to people. And so that, that article in that paragraph says today, fundamentals means you've stopped listening. Um, it really just, it resonated with me because it's like, I, we have two Baptist churches in our community and, I had the convert. I led worship at a revival two or three years ago, and uh, the senior pastor at this church is the sweetest man of God ever. They're SBC. He planted that church. He's been there for forty years. But when he called me one day and was like, "Hey, I'd love for you to come lead worship. Tell me about your salvation. Tell me about your your ministry. Tell me about your your ordination and your credentials and all this stuff." And I told him I was Church of God Anderson. I told him, you know, I was saved at a young age. And I was like, well, let's have that conversation real quick. What do you guys, what's, you know, I just want to have a conversation, but what's the whole, 
what's the deal with the, you know, once saved, always saved thing. And he, he kind of got uncomfortable with me because he was like, I, I, you know, we, I, you know, we can have that conversation. We can agree to disagree. I'm like, it's not about disagreeing. I just want to have the conversation about what you guys believe and why. Um, yeah. It, yeah, it's. People it, get squirmy. Thing, it's it, well, here's the thing. Like one of the things. So like one of the things that I had to do within my class that I'm doing with hermeneutics is we had to answer or do a discussion question. And how has your view of biblical interpretation stayed the same, especially when it comes to, you know, the Bible being authoritative or having authority? And um, what are some things that have changed from taking this class? And we wrote about it. And it goes back to what you just said. Like, we just don't talk. We don't communicate. And I think when you have a discussion and you talk about things like even like the other day, because I or actually it's been a couple actually a couple months back. We had a baby baptism at the church. And since I'm the family minister, I needed to be a part of it. And it's like. But I'm not doing but I'm not baptizing it like I wasn't baptizing this baby because it's like, eh, like, you know, so that was kind of a thing. But I, I remember me and the pastor Colleen are sitting there and we're talking about it. And she actually was part of the United Brethren Church before the Methodists and the United Brethren merged and became the United Methodist Church. And in the Brethren, in the United Brethren, they did child dedications. They didn't do child baptisms. So even for her, when there was that merger and they start doing child baptisms, she's like, okay, what's the deal with this? And for her, she was able to talk with someone, was able to read books about it. It kind of the way it was explained to her in the conversation she had with people, it made sense. And for her, it was like, okay, I now feel comfortable baptizing a child because I understand kind of what it means. It's the same thing like with foot washing, me doing an intensive deep dive with foot washing, how even the interpretation of what foot washing is, looking at it from first century all the way to what the Church of God believes are night and day differences. And I find it so fascinating. Mm -hmm. And even me doing a foot washing service in the Methodist church, and we're going to do a family foot washing service. And I got the approval to do it. And the kind of the way I explained it, especially within this particular setting that we're doing it is it's focused on the very opening of John 13, where Jesus says he wanted to show his love to the disciples, even to the bitter end. So he took off his outer garment wrapped around and start washing his disciples' feet. So Jesus is showing love to his disciples by washing their feet and taking that role of a servant. And then he goes into that passage of loving one another. So if you read it within the scriptures, is can you make the debate that foot washing is about servitude? Yeah, you can, you can make that argument and you can back it up with a lot of scriptures. But can't you make it that foot washing is about loving one another and being humbled and loving service. one another by service and through through kindness and service and then loving people as God loves them, as God was able to humble himself to the point of death on the cross. Like, yeah, you can make that argument too, that it's about love and deep love of service. So I'm thinking that's fantastic. And, and I think it's when you really engage in the thing that, I say all this, this is a very long-winded thing, but I also say that that 
what's the goal of reading scripture? You know, my view of scripture is that if I am reading the scripture, that something's inside me is going to be transformed. Either my mind, my heart, the way I act. When I read the Bible, there's a part of me that's going to be transformed. And I feel like we're seeing that with Rick Warren, that he's reading the scriptures. And all of a sudden, he's just like, wow. Out of all these years, I am finally now see it. The, the, the scales that were on my eyes are falling off. And now I see that, hey, women can be ordained as ministers. And women have just as right as men to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and be in lead pastor positions. And I thought that was just, um, that was probably one of the most fascinating things where he's just like, hey, and even though he says, you know, it humbled me. And even when he gives his view on it, he says, you know, I have to say it with humility because I know people are going to disagree with me on this. And it's like, well, good for you that you're allowing the word to speak to you instead of, you know, speaking for the word. Hmm. Yeah. And I think too that, you know, I think what it boils down to is that conversation, right? And people don't want to have conversations about things that make them uncomfortable or they're so one way, one way, this way, or one way, that way. And it's like, man, the end of the day, it should be about Jesus and it should be about winning souls to the kingdom of God. And um, it shouldn't matter if you're Baptist or you're non-denominational or you're Methodist or you're Lutheran or, or whatever the affiliation of the church that you go to or the name of the church on the sign that you walk into on Sundays, it should be um, about salvation and knowing that, like you said, when Jesus washed his disciples feet, the love and the feeling of service and gratitude that we get that opportunity, right? We get to serve others and it shouldn't be about gender. It shouldn't be about the name on the church door. It should be about Jesus. Right. And like, I think we should just take the names of churches off the churches and just call them Jesus. Like just walk to the church building and it's like, Oh Jesus, this is, this is where Jesus is. This is where hope is. This is where love is. This is where grace is. I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, like, we get so tied up in like how long how long has our church building been here and what's the name of the church and what church are we associated with? And Scott, I think it's great that you're doing foot washing at a Methodist church, right? Like I think it's different, like and it's a reminder that that stuff did happen. It's in the Bible. It's in God's Word. It's part of the gospel. It's part of what Jesus did on this earth during His ministry and during His life as a part of the Trinity and the the fulfillment of prophecy. And so um, I feel like I'm preaching a sermon right now, but it's like it's. <laughs> You know, it's it should not matter. At the end of the day, if this is all going to pass away, as Scripture says, that we're all in eternity with Jesus as a result, right? Like it that that blows my mind. The humility and the gratitude of Jesus Christ to wash His disciples' feet for us, right? Mm -hmm. To remind me that I'm not perfect, that I'm full of sin, that I'm full of hate, that I'm full of this and that and the other. And human emotion and these fleshly emotions, as Paul talks about so many times in scripture, like it's, it's just baffling to me and good for Rick Warren for taking a stand. Good for that yeah. man. I can't, like, like I said earlier, I can't imagine the weight of the world that that man felt walking into a room saying, you know what? I think the SBC is wrong. I have one of the biggest churches in our, in our, in our uh, conference, but I think we're wrong. And I think we need to be more uh, inclusive with our, 
uh, our sisters uh, in ministry and, and start including them, um, ordaining them, giving them the title of pastor and um, bringing them along and giving them the privilege to serve alongside of people uh, equally. Yeah. Uh, and it's good for him. I mean, <laughs> it's well, just and, good. Yeah, and even well, even with Rick Warren, like I felt like even when he talked about how it was shocking for him when he named the church Saddleback Church and then put Baptist in the title mm-hmm. on the sign. Which Saddle I know Baptist. sometimes, yeah, like Saddle Baptist Church, like like nothing like that. But the funny thing about that is, as I can remember, oh, this would have been years ago. This probably might have been when you were leading worship in Huber, um, where the uh, One Love Church started. Um, yeah. Brad Lewis started One Love Church, and he was talking about that, and it was the kind of official that, oh yeah, Brad Lewis One Love Church, and I can remember. There are some older Church of God pastors that went up to him and asked him, well, how come Church of God isn't in the title? Mm-hmm. And it was, and I, and I, and they asked that question. I sat there and I go, why does that even matter? Like, because obviously they're associated. I mean, it's the same thing. Like Water's Edge Church was Steve Roby, which we talk about Steve Roby all the time. Still have yet to have him on this show, but maybe one day, but I mean, and even he even talks about like even though they're affiliated with the Church of God, a lot of times in all their print, he, he always says, "Well, we're non-denominational." And one of the reasons why he says that is because when you say your Church of God, especially in the South, they believe certain things about the Church of God, and it's not always reflective of what the Church of God stands for out of Anderson, Indiana. So it, it, it also that, doesn't help that we have a Church of God, Cleveland, Tennessee, that's very Pentecostal opposing like church god anderson and there's a lot of them in the south yeah and that's and so and i think that's and i think that's the tricky thing with church of god as opposed to north american baptist southern baptist you know it's it's, most of them are pretty most of them are pretty a fundamental baptist like most of them are pretty foundationally our foundation on their baptist structure but they have these small differences that cause the the split and the separations. Um, but I think the other big thing that we didn't mention about this article was the fact that he, that Rick Warren makes the point that, and I think this is when he gets into the whole, you know, the idea of fundamentalist and, and what that means and how that's changed. But he talks about how the idea about, how we should be able to expel people over things like sin or racism or sexual abuse or all these things. And yet it's the women in ministry part that gets people disaffiliated. It's the women, not the history of the abuse that's been happening in the SBC. That's kind of rocked them in that expose a couple of years back. Like, those pastors are still being protected. Those pastors haven't been um, uncredentialed. Those churches haven't been disaffiliated. But the ones that have women in women in ministry do. Or we could go and we won't bash a pastor who is molesting children within the SBC, but we will bash Beth Moore because she's kind of speaking out and she's going around teaching and almost to the point where our Baptist-affiliated bookstores, uh, which I think is like Lifeway, we're not going to be selling her books anymore. We're not going to be sponsoring her 
her to go out and teach because not only do we see a bunch of women in the audience, but now we're seeing a bunch of men or their husbands in there and they're being influenced by this woman preacher. And we can't have that. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a super complicated conversation to have. It is. And, um, my wife would say this, but like she, you know, we're very supportive and affirming a woman in ministry. And we, uh, have friends that are pastors who are women, uh, in the church of God, especially. Um, mm-hmm. but my wife has made the comment. She was like, I don't know, just growing up in the situation. And this is, this is kind of how culture has changed. She grew up a lot in the South, but like, she said she didn't know how she would feel going to a church, even though we support women in ministry and we're very affirming. She didn't know how she would feel going to a church where a lead pastor was a woman. Like maybe it's just a culture thing because of, Mm -hmm. you know, growing up in the South, um, we would certainly try it and certainly support it. But like just with her background and her, um, you know, spending the majority of her time in the South, the um, that's pretty unheard of. For the most yeah. part, it's it's super well, rare. And well, and my dad had the same. My, me and my dad had the same discussion too. I mean, we both originally he grew up as a Nazarene, and you know they don't support women in ministry. At least when he was in rural Iowa, they didn't. And you know when the conversation came up that when they were looking for a new pastor at his church, and you know there was a couple women um, candidates being looked at. I mean, I know my dad said, "I I don't know how I feel about that." And it wasn't because he didn't support women ministry. He's just like, I don't know if, you know, I would be able to sit with a woman or because of the background and just what has been driven in his head and the culture he came from. Like, it's kind of hard to break those views that have been so ingrained into your culture that you're like, oh, you know, this is a thing. And I don't know how I feel about that. And I think in some ways that's okay. And I think it goes back to your earlier point. It's okay to have those conversations, but also like the apostle Paul says, like, you know, do it with gentleness and respect. And I think a lot of times we either don't want to have the conversation or if we do have the conversation, it's never gentle and it's never respectful. For sure. It's a, yeah. And, and like I said, just a few minutes ago, like, it's not that we don't support it. It's just like you said, the conversation with your dad, um, it's just an unknown. And so we kind of have to change the mold and change the, uh, not the expectation, but change change the way that we think and view things and get comfortable with the idea that that's a possibility. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, good for him. I keep saying that, but good for Rick Warren. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, friends, I know I mentioned this in episode 170 about what were your thoughts about Rick Warren and this whole thing. And now there's a time to talk about it again. Now that Rick Warren has officially has spoken out about what has changed his view and the scriptures that have supported his view of supporting women in ministry. What is your hot take? Do you, are you someone who supports women in ministry? And this is just like, kind of like Micah and I, like good for Rick Warren for standing up and especially allowing the word of God transform his heart. Or are you still kind of like that point where you're just like, nope, I still don't support it. I'm I'm with the John MacArthur's of the world. You know, we would love to hear your thoughts on that. You can leave a comment on any of our podcasts, um, wherever you're listening to, we will see it. Or you can go to thescottstebbin.com 
go into the comment field or even just go ahead and send us an email. And if we, we will definitely read them on the air. Maybe that, maybe I shouldn't say that because then they're like, Oh, I don't want to say anything. because I don't want my comment being read on the air, but definitely would love to know your thoughts on this. But friends, thank you so much for listening to the Scott Summit podcast. I hope you have a wonderful and blessed day and we'll be back on with another episode. Take care. (laughs) 